Kia ora koutou. welcome to First Up. It's Vahina, Monday the 14th of November. Core Nathan Rarariaho coming up. We will cross to the US's final votes for the midterms trickle in. Looks like the Democrats have control of the Senate. Also burnt out and at the end of their tether, we hear from AUT nursing students who say that they've been mistreated, overworked and exploited. Rebecca Dunn of the Nurses Organisation will join us. Plus... I hugged people I didn't know. Yeah, uh, we recap the magnificent Black Ferns World Cup final one with former Black Fern Farah Palmer. Atamaria, welcome back from your weekend. This is First Up, I'm Nathan Rarere, and we will start the uh, programme this morning, because there's plenty to cover. Uh, in the United States, it's Anna Burns Francis who is with us. Kia ora, how are you? Very well, thank you, Nate. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so tell me this. There's, uh, the midterms have been going on, all sorts of counting happening, and the Senate called last night for the Democrats, I believe. So what, what does that mean, and then what happens to the House? Well, it means we can all breathe a big sigh of relief that no longer does Georgia, that runoff race for the final state being counted this midterm election, doesn't really matter so much. The Democrats have managed to get it in the bag. They've retained control of that upper house of Congress, uh, the Senate. And that's because they managed to flip Pennsylvania and then they held on to Arizona and that last state that was called last night, Nevada. We really watched the red wave as it was. Well, the tide went out and the blue kind of came back in over the last couple of days because those final counties that were left with outstanding votes were all heavy Democrat states and they had lots of mail-in ballots to count. That's why it's taken so long. Now, I know we've been saying this for a few days. It does look like the Republicans have done enough to secure the lower part of Congress, the House that sits below the Senate. But even that is not looking like a runaway. So we are still waiting for another result to come through. It is awfully close. Republicans do have the lead, even if there is a, albeit very unlikely, chance for Democrat victory there. So in the meantime, what does it mean for the president? Hmm. Well, he's probably going to struggle a bit with his political agenda for the next couple of years, but at the very least he can push through some judicial nominations with the approval of his now very well guaranteed Senate majority. Now, someone who loved pushing through uh, those those judges, Donald Trump, tell me, do, does he go ahead with this week's big major announcement that, that he was going to have after what was pretty much a flop for him, you know, regarding who he backed? Well, don't hold your breath. You'll you'll die waiting because you've got to think this is not a good day to be at Mar-a-Lago. If you listen to Trump's advisors, they are going public. This is how much they're trying to change his mind with what they are telling the former president. There is no better time to pull out of this major announcement than yesterday. Don't do it. We're all expecting, of course, it's supposed to be the announcement that he is going to run for president again. But he lost that race last time. And his candidates all lost their bids for office this time. And everyone is ignoring his supporters who are still screaming into the void that the vote was rigged again. In fact, not a single election-denying Trump supporter who stood for Secretary of State in any swing state got beaten. They all got beaten, I should say. Now, it was his daughter Tiffany's wedding in Florida yesterday, so things have been a bit quiet on his social media challenge. We are still waiting to see if it goes ahead or whether it'll be a bit of a fizzer. Tell you what, Anna, I'm just imagining his father of the bride speech. That that must be quite incredible uh, to be there. Anna, thank you very much for your time uh, from the US. That is Anna Burns-Francis. 
it's interesting, isn't it? That the, the pollsters and uh, a lot of a lot of us have got it very wrong because there is. Uh, well, we'll get into this. The, the the demographic that has swept through in this uh, American election is the under-30s. An interesting bunch. Uh, you're listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radede. Look, uh, you may not live there, so you might not care, but I know plenty of people do. Uh, you know, they're, they're talking about bridge or tunnel for Auckland. Uh, bridge or tunnel, what do you think? An extra one, two, an one let us know. I'll probably be dead by the time they finish it, but uh, for me, I'd... A tunnel, that'd be sort of nice, wouldn't it? Have a go with that. Should work well. Anyway, uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern is in the Cambodian capital of Phnom Penh. So she was attending the East Asia Summit on Sunday and will head to Thailand later this week for the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, that's APEC, forum. RNZ Business Editor Giles Beckford is the man on the scene and he's with us now. Kia ora, Giles, how are you? Kia to you, Nathan. Well, thank you. Now, tell us this. What did the Prime Minister expect, or, or actually, what did she want beforehand, uh, before she went over to this? Well, I think she was hoping that there would be a, a civilised meeting, that they'd get to talk about some of the big issues. Myanmar is one that seems to be particularly close to her heart, but also climate change. Uh, there's a host of other ones around here. Of course, the Ukraine war is never very far away. But this China's more assertive policy uh, in the South China Sea and, of course, its attitude towards Taiwan, as we've seen uh, in recent months. And, of course, the uh, rocket rattling and launches by North Korea, all of which loom uh, large. Uh, as Jacinda Ardern called them before she left, they are vexed issues. Uh, and she was hoping that there would be continued dialogue and continued progress in building consensus uh, on these issues. Well, uh, it's big power play politics, and uh, it's going to be hard yards uh, when, in particular, you've got uh, Russia and the United States clearly not going to talk to each other to any Mm. great extent, uh, and China and the U.S., of course, uh, completely at odds uh, with China's policy, in particular on Taiwan. Uh, so some big issues there. Her view on it was, uh, you know, look, we weren't here. We weren't going to uh, solve all the problems and save the world uh, in a day and a half. But as she called it, it was a sober meeting. Uh, it was determined and it was deliberate. Uh, those are her words. And, and she came away, she said, um, she came away, if, if anything, with a sort of a, a, a an optimistic view that uh, at the very least, you know, people were committed to, you know, keep talking. So the very fact that you had these people, the fact that you had, for instance, Sergei, uh, Sergei Lavrov, the uh, Russian foreign minister, sitting opposite uh, Joe Biden in the conference center. Um, clearly, they weren't, going to, they weren't going to reach agreement, but they were talking. Uh, mm. And there were no histrionics, uh, there was no walkouts, there was no drama. So she takes that as being a positive uh, and a commitment to, you know, dialogue and building consensus, which, Giles, let's be honest, Giles, is going to um, take some time. Yeah, sorry, Giles, just wondering, can you tell us about uh, this this upgraded, uh, have, have they upgraded uh, an upgraded FTA that's that's happened as well, the free trade agreement? Yeah, look, there's a free trade agreement between the 10 nations of ASEAN, the Association of uh, Southeast Asian Nations, and uh, Australia and New Zealand. And it was one of the uh, first sort of you know, big uh, picture, you know, all-encompassing free trade deals done in the region quite some time ago. It needed a facelift. It's uh, taken a couple of years to get through it. There are no big moves in terms of you know, cutting tariffs and it'll be cheaper for us to land the goods here. 
But what they seem to have done is to clear out some of the red tape uh, so you, you come across less bureaucracy uh, at uh, the airport or uh, down at the wharves. Uh, and that there'll be you know, greater consideration and speedier consideration of uh, new business ventures and the like. So you know, it's a big region for us. It's $20 billion worth of trade. Uh, it's the third biggest uh, for New Zealand. And you put all those 10, 10 countries together. That's fantastic. Tell me, so can you just quickly, how was the Prime Minister standing? Did, did it look like she's been able to get one-on-one time with Joe Biden in this? She did get one-on-one time with Joe Biden. She wasn't actually seeking what they call a bilateral, which is a formal meeting between heads of delegations. But uh, they had a big social gathering uh, last night. Um, I tell you, it was in a convention centre that, you know, just the insides of the main hall were two or three football fields wide. That's how big this was. Uh, it, it, it was massive. We were pinned up there for, for hours just uh, trying to get some you know, news and uh, some audio. But uh, the leaders went away before the dinner. Uh, they had a little social gathering. It was all very informal. Um, she got 10 minutes, 15 minutes with him. And they basically just uh, chatted. She said they caught up on some of the things that had been talking about in May when she was at the White House. Uh, and then they just talked about, uh, which is, uh, and I did remind them about the, the tariffs on our steel and aluminium. Um, but, uh, but, but, but then we just talked about our families. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and why not? I mean, yeah, I mean, and at least Joe, at least Joe Biden remembered her because uh, a little bit later on, he was making remarks about you know I'd like to thank the chair of uh, you know the uh, of uh, of of uh, Colombia. No, no, uh, and of course we're in we're in the midst of Cambodia, so he had a bit of a senior <laughs> he, he had a wee bit of a senior moment there, but. Um, you know, all in all, she was happy with it. We've got a photo on our website of her crouching down uh, beside him at this uh, dinner engagement. She was actually only f- four places away from him. Um, and contrast that with uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister. He was at the other end of this dining table, which I tell you must have been something like 150 metres long. <laughs> it's a bugger to pick so up he was on really on He was really on the outer. He was, Charles. Thank you very much for your time. A man standing in football field-sized rooms with 150 metre long tables. That is Giles Bigford there, uh, who's with us uh, in Cambodia. Well, we go to Europe now. Our correspondent, Nita Blake-Person, is in Berlin. Kia ora, how are you? Morena Nathan, I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm oh, good. Now, interesting here. So, so we saw last week Herson uh, coming back under Ukra- Ukrainian control, and uh, but there's been a bit of a. Well, are we ever sure it really is Banksy, the street artist who's been there? How do we know this? That's the whole thing, isn't it? Well, apparently, because he has posted a picture on his Instagram account, that's kind of the way he officially claims that he's done something. But it's a very fair question because he has officially claimed, as it were, one piece of work he's done in Borodyanka, which is on the outskirts of Kiev. It's a, a piece of work on and you know his distinctive style painted on the outside of a bombed out building. It's showing a gymnast doing a handstand in the rubble. It looks like she's kind of balancing or playing on these damaged remains. Um, But a couple of other pieces of 
popped up in other parts of Kiev, which he hasn't claimed. They are in his same distinctive style. Um, there's one in which a child is flipping and defeating a man who looks a lot like uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin to the ground in a judo match. Putin is um, a judo black belt, so there's a, a little bit of commentary there. And then there's another one which has popped up of a gymnast who's been painted dancing on top of a, a gaping hole in the side of a building, and she's wearing a neck brace. But as you point out, who knows, that may or yeah. may not have been uh, uh, Banksy. He hasn't mentioned or acknowledged those other pieces, but he has done work in, in conflict zones before, and he's mentioned that he has done this one piece. So now it looks like he may be making his mark in Ukraine. Might be local, Banksy. There we go. Um, now, uh, this, you know, obviously big uh, discussions on climate change happens and even, you know, governments go, oh, it's awful, isn't it? This is terrible. Look at that. And then they go home and usually ignore it. Uh, tell me, the, the European countries, though, they're re-evaluating their climate uh, pledges um, after last week's COP summit. Tell us about what France is up to. Yeah, well, it's not exactly, you know, going to be the silver bullet or anything, but they are looking to crack down on car parks. I guess if you're not going to take them right out of action, it's one make, of making cars slightly greener. Um, they're bringing in these new rules which will require all large car parks to be covered by solar panels. So these are big open-air car parks. I'm thinking kind of similar to the ones out by Auckland Airport. And if you've got more than 80 spaces, you will have five years to comply with the measures. If you've got more than 400 spaces, you'll have just three years to get the whole thing covered with uh, solar panels. It's part of President Emmanuel Macron's renewable energy drive and apparently um, the government estimates it could generate up to 11 gigawatts of power. They're trying to find all sorts of ways to get more power. They're looking at solar farms on empty land by motorways or, or railways or farmland. It's not just about kind of going greener for the environment but also because this whole Russian invasion of Ukraine has since you know, power prices skyrocketing and things like that. And everyone's trying to figure out different ways of making their own power. So uh, this is one way France is looking at it. It's also um, encouraging households to, to turn off the lights and things. And the Eiffel Tower is, is having their lights switched off a little earlier each evening. Oh, my goodness me. Too. Get yeah, candles up real. there. Hey, let, let, let's stay in France. That movie, The Terminal, where Tom Hanks lived in the airport terminal, there was a real life one of those uh, in Paris, but it's had a bit of a sad ending. It has a sad ending. This, this is um, Iranian man Miran Nasiri, who'd lived in Charles de Gaulle Airport for 18 years. He uh, died in Terminal 2F over the weekend. He'd had a heart attack, and apparently medical teams were there, but he couldn't be saved. Uh, he'd had an incredible story. As you say, it was the kind of basis for that film, The Terminal, but the reality is slightly different. Uh, he was born in Iran, but was expelled in 1977 over political protest. Then he gained uh, refugee status in Belgium. At one point, he travelled to Britain to try and find his mother, but was denied entry due to a lack of papers. When he came back to France, he was detained, and that's when he was released into the airport where he lived for years and years. And he was later offered residency by both France and Belgium, but apparently he turned them down. He uh, he was hospitalised in 2006, which ended his stay at the airport. But he came back several weeks ago. Apparently, he had received about a quarter of a million dollars for the rights to his story for that film. But um, an airport official has told reporters he'd spent most of it and uh, come back to the place he'd called home for, for so long in mm. uh, recent weeks. Yeah. Nita, thank you very much for your time. From Berlin, that is Nita Blake-Person.
We'll call it 20 past five. I'm Nathan Radity and you're listening to First Up here at RNZ National. Coming up, we look back at Saturday's scenes at uh, Eden Park uh, on the evening. It was a glorious night. And the Minister, uh, Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth, back to bring you his fruit forecast for the week. Well, they are standing in the rear. Let's head to the fruit and veggie aisle and popping up on a panada raspberries. It's the first up minister of fruit and veg. He is Glenn Forsyth. Morena Glenn. Morena Nathan, how are you, Morena? I'm good, sir. What are the uh, what do you think of the best buys at the moment? Yeah, we'll check in with our main man on the ground in Pukekohe after all that rain, Emmett Barrell, and so far no damage to report. He quoted three best green buys this week to be iceberg lettuce, silver beet and broccoli. And how's this for some research on broccoli? It is one of the best vegetables for us, a good source of minerals such as magnesium. It's high content of vitamins A, B, C, E and K, strengthens the immune system, improves vision and prevents vascular diseases. It also has enough fibre to, to prevent colon disease. And that's why it shouldn't be missing from your weekly shop. It certainly earns its superfood status. And a superfood list I've kept for many years, there are 13 on there of which seven are fruit and vegetables. Broccoli stands proudly in that ranking. And so does Silverbeet for that matter. And our good friend, Mr. Deepak Lala from the Wellington Markets, he's mentioned salad lines like mescaline and baby spinach. They're in good supply along with tomatoes this week. Uh, now, those are all great used raw and salads, sandwiches or garnish. So plenty to look forward to. Right, uh, vegetables.co.nz. I know you like to have a look around there as well and keep a keep a close eye on them to make sure they're up to standard. What are they? What are they looking at the moment? Yes. What's what's their fave? Yeah, well, on top of those beauties mentioned earlier, late spring just keeps on giving with a further array of excellent choices to start your early week shopping with. Orange Coomera, they're at low prices, and so are cucumbers. New season Better Bites carrots, Bullhorn King Sweetie capsicums, and Aussie Round Beans, they're all gathering momentum and supply. Asparagus and eggplant complete the impressive lineup. And right on cue is our magnificent November update from vegetables.co.nz. Two veggies they are featuring this month are rocket and radish. Rocket has there has a pleasant sharp taste and ideal to mix a little in with the green salad also. Now red radish, they can be eaten, eaten raw in snacks, salads and sandwiches, whereas the daikon, that's the white radish, they're suited more in Asian cooking and being pickled. Now another top tip from them is to slow roast veggies to intensify the flavour. Preheat oven to 150 degrees Celsius, drizzle the veg with oil and balsamic vinegar, then roast until veg are slightly shriveled. And also vegetables such as tomatoes, asparagus and capsicum are particularly good roasted. Rocket and radish, those are both a little bit peppy, aren't they? A little bit, little bit of peppy they flavor are a bit there peppy, for you. Yes. All right. So uh, what, about the yes, fruit? Yeah, what about the fruit aisle? What's happening there? Uh, it is a very nice selection on fruit, and what we saw this morning were all bursting in season specimens. You can't go past strawberries and blueberries, and avocados are short, their buttery best. Encore and a four mandarins, they're still a great citrus choice, and for something tropical, there are fresh gold pineapples here. Now, the R2E2 Australian mango, they're coming down in price, and it takes its name from the row and position in the field of the original tree at the Bowen Research Facility. Treat them like a baby, and they're tough to beat that mango. Finishing on the curious fruit here now from America, the fresh pomegranate. Their seeds are delicious and versatile, making them easy additions to a variety of sweet and savoury dishes. So toss them into a green or fruit salad, sprinkle onto your yoghurt or porridge, add them to smoothies or juices. You can even garnish avocado and toast with some or roasted and grilled meat dishes with them. Add them to sangria, cocktails or mocktails. Or finally, uh, last but not least, simply eat the seeds fresh from the fruit. So give them a try. Wowee. My... my, uh... 
my friend uh, Dean Lonigan. He had a friend called Mango, and because he raced yes. motorbikes, and it was like, look at that Mango. So that was his nickname. Yeah. Oh, funny. It's good, eh? Yeah. Cheers, Glenn. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yeah, Mango was a manipulator of horses, too. He's like a uh, horse chiropractor. Come around and do that sort of thing. I think Mango's in Australia now. So anyway. Uh, this is, sorry, this is the 14th of November, this day of our life. Uh, 74 years ago, King Charles III was born. And of course, his life peaked on the 26th of October 2005, when at the age of 57, Charles, Prince Charles as he was known then, uh, appeared in an episode of New Zealand cartoon comedy series Brotown. And the episode was called Morningside Story, and they actually did get to record him, and he said, Morningside for life, in his beautiful diction. Born on this day in 1840, Claude Monet. So I was having a look uh, through at uh, at his life as I went into a bit of a dive, and I didn't realise. So he had cataracts uh, surgery in 1923, and then what happened was that correction that happens with your eyesight, where you see things more in a blue tone than the previous reds and yellows that you had with cataracts. I know I found that after my uh, operation. Uh, but what happened was with Claude Monet, is he actually destroyed a lot of his old paintings because he went, no, they're all the wrong colour now. And on this day in 1889, America. American journalist, what an incredible woman, Nellie Bly, began her around-the-world race. She was trying to beat the record of Phileas Fogg's Around the World in 80 Days. The You know, the uh, Jules Verne's, um, sorry, story there. Uh, so she completed that journey in just 72 days to sustain interest in the story. Her newspaper organised a daily column called Nellie Bly Guessing Match, in which readers were asked to estimate her arrival to the very second. The grand prize was a trip to Europe in those days and some spending money, which just would have been massive. Her journey uh, was a world record it only stood for a few months though because everyone went on to it and then and someone called George Train did it in 67 days the following year she made a lot of money did Nellie Bly because a board game came out called Around the World with Nellie Bly and those are some happenings on the 14th of November I need a dollar 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 that's what I need hey, hey. well I need a dollar 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 that's what I need hey, hey. said I need Okay, let's share some business stories now with Andrew McRae. Kia ora, sir. How are you? I'm good, Nathan. How's it going with you? I'm pretty good. That's your theme song from now on. Oh, anyway, you've, you've been refreshed. anointed one. Anointed one is quite good. Um, <laughs> tell me, what, what's this possible good news for people using bank cards? Well, it's all around, um, you know, credit cards and doing contactless uh, payments, which, you know, is becoming much more popular, as we know. Now, the good news is it might hopefully mean some savings for us all. It's all part of changes to legislation around the, the retail uh, payment system, which limits interchange fees between banks. Now, the lower fees will help reduce pressures on retail pricing. Well, that's according to Retail New Zealand anyway. It's taken some time, of course, for us to regulate interchange fees. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, been historically unregulated in this space for many years. Australia, um, the UK and Europe have they've had this legislation for a long time. Now, the, the big part of the cost of running card, you know, credit card payments for, for retailers is the, uh, you know, they often all the extra costs have to be passed on to the consumers. And this is likely to drive up the availability now of contactless payments because they're going to regulate those fees. Interchange fees between car companies have been the, the biggest component of uh, the merchant fees for, for a long time. Uh, the changes will leave... Um, 
interchange fees on contactless uh, debit payments. They'll be at zero cost. However, uh, contactless debit payments will be capped at 0.2% of an inter-transaction uh, fee, so that's or, or, or a limit of $0.05 cent flat fee, and that's down from 1%, so that's good news for the consumers. As well as uh, that, uh, all credit card payments will be capped at 0.8% of a, of the transaction's value, and that's down from what's been a high of about 2%. Uh, online transactions using a, a debit card will be capped at 0.6% of the uh, value of the transaction, as um, uh, up until now it's been up over you know 2%. Uh, not so good for commercial credit cards. They're exempt from the re- regulations, uh, with some attracting interchange fees as high as 2.25%. So um, good news uh, for consumers. Yeah, and also because I know that I, I, um, I'm involved in a charity organisation, I guess, no, a non-profit you'd call it, and we, we had to change our FPOS terminal and they did the whole, oh, do you want the pay wave one? But of course, you've got to pay so much extra on each transaction that we just decided no. Um, so did, will that sort of thing get cut down, do you think, Andrew? I think it will, um, Nathan. And the good, you know, the thing is, of course, everyone is now wanting to use PayWave yeah. and those sort of things. So you, basically, a retailer or uh, anyone accepting money uh, can't really, um, you know, ignore it. Right? I think really. Mm. Yeah, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. Andrew McRae there uh, from the business team, and you can hear more from the business team, including um, big fines uh, for misleading customers. Uh, their company uh, fines, look out for those. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Reports this morning at 10 to 7. So now turning to how the New Zealand dollar is being traded around the world. Currently it sits at 61.21 US cents, 91.17 Australian cents, 59.04 euros cents, 51.65 British pence, 4.34 yuan and 84.9 Japanese yen. Joe Porter has been up all night doing the yards, doing the hard yards, watching uh, the All Blacks versus Scotland and he has it uh, fresh out of the oven for you. Kia ora Joe. Morena, how are you? Good. What happened in the end uh, when we came in to do the programme is that the All Blacks were behind and we were going, what's happening? Yeah, very strange game. The All Blacks racing out to a 14-0 lead with two early tries before Scotland scored 23 unanswered points to lead 23-14 midway through the second half and All Blacks fans were starting to get a little bit worried. They'd been kept scoreless for 50-odd minutes. 23 unanswered points scored against them. They were knocking the ball on. They were giving away lots of penalties. Scotland were on the march. And then, of course, a little bit of a momentum shift. The All Blacks managed to pick themselves back up and score two late tries. Scotland were given a yellow card, and the All Blacks get home by eight points in the end, 31-23, which seems a little bit more comfortable than it probably was. But, again, what you would call an inconsistent performance from the All Blacks. It it sounded like Murrayfield was rocking, though. It must have been a great afternoon there. I'll tell you what, Joe, I mean, I think it showed just Recently in this last year, that um, you know ourselves, South Africa, mm. uh, England, perhaps we can't go so deep into our squads anymore and expect to be winning, you know, handling yeah. on things. So, and, and you know, people complained about it for ages. Why aren't the Greens more competitive? So they are. But yeah. I noticed once once we brought the bench on, um, that helped. Anyway, who cares? The ferns. How good was Saturday night, Joe? Well, oh! it, was, it was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely fantastic. One of the, the best nights in, in rugby history, in my mind. It was it, joyous. It was joyous. joyous is a great word to describe it but it wasn't just that it was a fantastic exhibition of rugby I mean it really set the standard for Mm. what a rugby World Cup final should be it had everything six odd tries was it a red card yellow card momentum shifts lead changes Uh, you know even that 
very up to the very last minute when England had that attacking lineout and and you know Wayne Smith and the Blackferns had you know you know what's one of the bravery to go and attack yeah. that lineout and it just sort of summed up the Blackferns didn't it that fearlessness to go out and play the kind of rugby they wanted to and attack England not shy away from this potent forward pack and it was it was just a wonderful game you have to feel sorry for Lydia Thompson the English winger got sent off for that head clash with Porsche Woodman obviously not malicious but the rules are the rules uh, and just all the characters Ruby Tui post-match the scenes from, from Eden Park the, the sounds the, the noises that the crowd was just a different crowd than it would have been for an All Blacks test it was just yeah a wonderful wonderful game of rugby and a fitting finale to that World Cup tournament I was thinking about their engagement that they have and and why they're so easy to take on. Mm. And I think there's a really underrated thing here, which which I haven't heard anyone else touch on. Ruby too is really good at being famous. And yeah. and, and good at being famous is, is hard because the, the yeah. natural re- New Zealand reaction, you think of Richie McCaw, his, his, he was earnest, he was amazing, he did yeah. really hard, but he was always, oh shucks, better not look like I'm enjoying it. Whereas Ruby feels <laughs> comfortable in that. And you know, I think it, it's that's quite a change in New Zealand attitude to be good at that, but so is Stacey. Uh, Stacey Fleurler now and um, just so so engaging with the fans and what I thought was really nice was uh, when Amy Rule got subbed off we're still behind at that stage and as she comes off she went everyone's cheering and she just did a little wave at the crowd and they went nuts for her and it was just nice you know I thought I thought they're comfortable with that so I'm not surprised that they didn't melt in those big moments at the end because they've they've a very very comfortable team in who they are but the skill level of the Olympians yeah. in that team my goodness the passing oh yeah and obviously the conditioning too. You know that they'd only been professional a lot, uh, you know, for far fewer years than England have been. But the sevens would have helped with that. They were incredibly, incredibly good condition. You know what a change of, of fortunes for the Blackferns. We were talking. I was talking about this with Jim Moore yeah. on Sunday, and we talked about they probably need to make a Netflix documentary on this last year because, you know, they went from losing four tests on an end of year tour with a culture and environment that was pretty fractured, um, to turning that around. And again, they don't play much rugby, so to no. turn it around without that many tests in between now and then, to you know. A Achieving what was considered probably un- unachievable for them at the start of the year, they were far from favourites. Yeah, what a fantastic story! A great change in culture and environment, and giving them the license to play a game plan that suited them. Wayne Smith, the genius, the professor, um, well done to him too. Probably deserves a knighthood as well as many of those other players that will eventually end up as, with damehoods as well. I think so. Look, what a fantastic run! World champions again, back to the top of the pile, and to do it in front of uh, you know a record crowd at Eden Park, a record number of of uh, attendees to that World Cup for a women's World Cup. So record falling all over the place yeah what what a fantastic end to what's been a fantastic tournament yeah and then they had the the big fan engagement day ah. yesterday to thank everybody which was nice um yeah. and I, I like how they said well we'll do it when you know win or lose because i mean like you say england were just massive favorites yeah. uh, on the way in there too we've got uh, farah palmer coming up and i want to ask you that too obviously a former player but now i guess we look at her and go okay well you're the one of the female representatives on this board do yep. you go into the next meeting and go come on look at this the yep. fans love them. Yeah, we need a bigger, we need a larger Super Rugby Opeki competition. Whether well, I think mm-hmm. we're getting three or four games again this year, uh, we also need uh, you know a larger investment. There should be some full-time professional black fans that are matching the likes of England. And imagine if they had three years of that under there about what they could achieve at the next World Cup. Pay Crystal Murray. Yeah, pay them all. Pay Crystal. Yeah, pay them all. There we pay go. Them all. <laughs> Joe, thank you very much for your time, sir. There is uh, from the sports desk. It's Joe Porter. And we're at 20 to 6. I'm Nathan Radity here at First Up on RNZ National. So between now and the end of the program, you're going to hear from AUT nursing students, uh, AUT nursing students who say they are burnt out. So you can hear some of the conditions. Uh, plus former Blackfern and New Zealand rugby board member Dr Farah Palmer joins us. 
The professionals of RNZ are the Morning Reports team. They are here after six. It is Corin Dan to uh, preview what is happening today. What do you got happening today, Corin? Morning. Ah, Tamarie. Uh, well, we'll have a lot of rugby, of course. We need to continue to celebrate the marvellous win uh, by the Black Ferns, but also look forward to, you know, how can uh, New Zealand rugby really capitalise on the extraordinary performance, you know, make sure that the game grows as it should. Mm. Uh, all those sort of things. So we'll cover that, that off with a number of uh, key commentators, former Black Ferns, and that type of thing. Uh, we're also going to cover the US midterms because there was a good development, or interesting development anyway, over the weekend uh, with the Democrats holding the Senate, it looks like, with Nevada. But, uh, yeah, still a wee way to go with the House uh, there. So that's still in, still up in the air a little bit, although I think the Republicans will pretty comfortably take that. So it'll be a split Congress. Uh, power prices, we'll look at the issue there with... Uh, a new report suggesting the power companies have been providing uh, big dividends, uh, too big, in fact, over a number of years. Uh, we'll also look at Rocket Lab. We'll look at the Samoan Rugby League team, too, with that amazing upset. And also, uh, yeah, I think that'll probably just about do it. Well, I mean, you've got plenty of... You've got a whole week. It's all right. You don't have to do it all today. Thank you very much, Corinne. Not to, not to forget the Kiwis, too, who had an outstanding semi-final and pretty much deserved to beat Australia in that game, I thought. That was mm. very disappointing. Yeah, well, maybe the tournament were quite clever to book, book those flights. Thank you very mm. much, uh, Corinne Dan. Well, as yes, I mean, look, in front of more than 40,000 fans, the Black Ferns defeated England in one of the great games of um, rugby in all time, actually. And uh, they are now the world champions again. So the team well and truly captured the imagination of the New Zealand public, not just for the way that they play, but also for who they are as well off the field. A little bit we've touched on that this morning. So joining me now is former Black Ferns captain, NZRU board member, uh, Dr Farah Palmer. Um, Thank you very much for being here. Last time we spoke about the team, I don't know if you remember, it was when things weren't going so well at the end of last year and there had to be a change made and all that. Just tell me about this last year that you've seen and the and the change in the team and, and what is what is different amongst the players themselves with these changes? Oh yeah, look, it has been a bit of a roller coaster ride. If you go back, you know, twelve months ago, you know, we were all pretty concerned about how the team was going. Um, you know, with the Black Ferns review was a really tough thing to go through. Uh, but I think ultimately that is pretty much what helps the team to to win against England, for goodness sake. You know, it was a it was a, an amazing, amazing journey, and I'm just so proud of them. I'm just imagining you watching those rolling malls going, oh, come on, get in there and do that. It was it was, it was, was <laughs> wonderful to be at uh, at the state. I was I feel very lucky to have been there and seen it with my own eyes. And, and I suppose to just tell me that for you, to, to look around and see that many people just screaming for the game, but also just having a really good time. That must have been nice. Must have been you know warmed your heart. It did. You know what? The during the whole tournament, I was just so pleased that you know we had a vision of selling out Eden Park, and that New Zealanders got behind it. So, was it a surprise that we sold out the final? Well, it was a nice surprise, but it wasn't a complete shock to me because I could see the momentum gathering. But everyone was just. The joy and the uh, the connection that I felt between the crowd and the teams was just amazing. Now, you, I mean, obviously you carry this this responsibility, you head into the next board meeting and people are going to look and go, well, you know, well, Doc, you know, you, you're you the former captain of the Ferns, can you go to the table there and get more money for win, women's rugby and that? So just tell us, do you th- is New Zealand rugby with this big, you know, uh, sponsorships they've signed the last couple of years, are they in a good position to be able to finance something like giving a little more here? Because we've still got Black Ferns who also have jobs. Yeah, 
Yeah, we do. We, we've got contracted players in the in the women's game, and we've got things like the Super Rugby Opiki that is being um, expanded in terms of being a five week competition. We've got the World Fifteens um, that is is going to help to have another opportunity to get the Black Ferns together. So yes, we've got this on our agenda. We're going to take some time to just celebrate the team and just regather and figure out exactly what we're going to do next. And don't believe me, I've got big shoulders. I've had lots of people already asking me this question mm. and it's on the agenda. So I just want to reassure people that we we know that we want to try and keep this momentum and we want to support the Black Ferns because they are an amazing team and they're obviously loved by people in Aotearoa, New Zealand and everywhere in the world that loves rugby, really. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to sit in front of a guy who was the super coach and knew everything that should be happening. Apparently, a lot of the kicks should have been further downfield uh, with things. It was interesting <laughs> to hear him change. And like you say, the, the, the engagement for the team was, is, has been incredible. Tell us how important it is to have perhaps those publicity lead singers. And by that, I mean the likes of, of a Ruby Tui or a Sarah Hirini or, you know, Ruhe Demant, just being so comfortable on camera and who they are. Yeah, they're so authentic, and I think that's what people are really connected to. We've allowed those players, those superstars, if you want to call it that, on social media, we've allowed them to kind of like express themselves, and I think that's something that in rugby we can learn a little bit more about. Like Everyone is looking for a personality, and there are loads of personalities in the Black Ferns. Hmm. So, you know, how do we take advantage of that to, to get boys and girls and and older men like my dad, who's seventy-five, totally talking not so much about the you, you know all this is a novelty, but they're actually getting into the techn- tactical and te- technical knowledge of the game and, and discussing it and debating it, and that's awesome. So how do we shake the shackles off the men? Go, do you know what? It's okay. Just let it out after the game. Do that because I feel the men, and maybe it's just being hit by grumpy rugby press after every game, you know, being hammered with, why did you do that minutia wrong? I feel the male players just just close up. Is there a way that you think the men might look at the likes of these black ferns and go, I'm going to be more me too? Yeah, well, you know what I think is, and I talked about it earlier, is about the joy. And that's what I felt around the crowd is the joy. And I know when I go to some All Blacks games, it's pretty angry and grumpy and sometimes, you know, so, yeah, so I think we need to just say, hey, let's just let our players express themselves and let's appreciate, you know, it's a tough job getting out there and, and, and putting your body on the line all the time and, and let's just enjoy the moment. I think that's the thing that I'm hoping we can get out of this. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. It was, a, yeah, wonderful uh, to see that victory and that joy. A very different feeling in that crowd. I feel very fortunate to have been in it. That was Dr. Farah Palmer. Uh, we head towards 6 o'clock. AUT nursing students continue to complain about their treatment, particularly on student placements, with one describing being spat on, kicked and treated like an extra pair of hands. This comes after more than 30 nursing students told Checkpoint last week they'd been taken advantage of. They say that they've been put under immense uh, stress, juggling a 40-hour week, unpaid hospital placements alongside full-time study, with no compensation for uniforms, petrol or hospital parking. AUT maintains that it takes the mental health of its students seriously, but as Leonard Powell reports, that hasn't stopped more students from coming forward. The pressure is firmly on the nursing education sector with a flood of complaints from current students. 
This third-year student, whose name we have changed to Jane, says her time at AUT has been a nightmare. My experience as an AUT nursing student has been pretty horrendous, I won't lie. It's just been never-ending in terms of issues with the uni, issues with placement, money issues. It just doesn't seem to end. Students are required to undertake 30 weeks of unpaid placements over the three years of their course. They've told RNZ they're not paid for fuel, hospital parking or uniforms and say they're encouraged not to take on jobs so they can focus on their placements and studies. Jane says she and others were placed in an aged care facility. Quite a few students got like abused by some of the residents, which was not taken seriously whatsoever, which was pretty traumatising for them. We got uh, spat on, kicked, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Um, we were treated like an extra set of hands, so it wasn't necessarily a learning experience. It was more so just getting in there and getting your hands dirty and just helping out everyone because they were so short-staffed. When issues were raised to the clinical educator, Jane says the response was blunt. It was kind of just brushed off, like, this is what you're trained to do, this is what you're training to training to do, pretty much suck it up. So that, that was kind of the feedback that we got. <laughs> Another student, who we've called Jennifer, says she didn't feel supported at all. Out of like a rating to 10, I think it would be like a 1 or 2. Like it's not even doing bare minimum, I think. Jennifer, who lives on the North Shore, says she was only given two days notice that her placement would be in South Auckland, a one-hour commute. To add to her struggles, Jennifer found herself being verbally abused by her clinical educator. I don't think anyone deserves to be verbally abused, and especially by someone from your own uni, because you're placed in somewhere you don't really know, like in a hospital, like who are you supposed to trust, right? You're obviously supposed to go to your clinical educator as guidance, as support, but when that person who was supposed to support you and give you guidance and be there for you and talk about your struggles, abuse you, like who are you supposed to go to for help? Jane says while she's lucky enough to live at home, she still feels under financial stress. Obviously with the cost of living crisis that's going on right now and the cost of petrol, it's like 150 bucks a week just to fill up my car for me to get to the North Shore and back every day. Yeah, I can, I can afford to go and buy something to eat. But then it's like, oh, I don't know how many hours I'm doing on the weekend. Am I going to be able to afford gas and pay for parking the week after? In response to students like Jane in their final year of study, Health Minister Andrew Little told Checkpoint's Lisa Owen compensating third-year nursing students for their placements is something he will look at. When we looked at the data earlier in the year and we saw where the um, greatest attrition is, it's in, that, it's in that final placement or final year placement. And so um, I think the system does see that as a, as a problem and is lo- looking at ways to address that to better support those students. Minister Little also defended the 46% of students who had dropped out of AUT's nursing programme over the past three years. It's not unusual across a whole range of disciplines for people to enter in their first year of a course or training and discover it's not for them. That's life, that happens. When you look at the second and third years, I think attrition in those levels is, I think, where a lot of attention should go. The aim is to make sure that we minimise attrition and allow those students who do have an aptitude and willing and want to enter the health services and want to be a nurse to complete their training to do that.
AUT's Head of Nursing, Stephen Neville, says student wellbeing is paramount. He says that any student at any level who experiences any bullying or intimidation should contact their student experience team or him directly. Well, joining us as student unit chairperson of the nurses organisation, Rebecca Dunn. Kia ora, Rebecca. Thank you very much for being here. You just That's what Stephen Neville says there from, from AUT's Head of Nursing. Do you think these students would feel actually comfortable to go to him or their experience team because it doesn't sound like uh, it doesn't sound like it from some of the comments we heard yeah good morning um I absolutely think there's a power play there and I don't think if I was one of their students I don't think I would be comfortable going to the head of school and saying these things based off of what other students have had as feedback so is this just an AUT thing are you hearing this a lot from uh, other nursing schools It's definitely nationwide. We have reps in nearly every school in the country and we find the same narrative is played to us every time we meet with them, that students aren't supportive, they're struggling financially and they just don't know how they're going to finish their degrees and a lot of them don't, as we've just heard. Oh, because we need them so much at the moment. I mean, like, you know, so what needs to be done to, to make it easier for these nursing students who have a very vital job to do? I mean, there's a pretty simple solution. Paying us for the placement hours that we do would be awesome. We do 1,100 hours over our three-year Bachelor of Nursing, and students that are doing those hours are working 40-hour weeks for free. They're also doing their assessments. They've also got exams during that time. And then they're also having to work part-time to fund their lives. It's not very fair that tradespeople, when there was a trades shortage, the Trades Academy was funded but we're still finding that nursing, now that we're in a nursing crisis, is not given the same support. Some of the components of the nursing degree uh, are interesting. Minister Andrew Little said he was not aware there was a creative writing com- component in there. Talk to us about the, the components of, of the course. And are, are, are there any of them superfluous? I don't, I don't get that one. Um, so each, each school has a different curriculum, and they make that themselves. So I can't speak to certain kind of components of the course because I only know about mine specifically. Okay. We know that when Tipukinga takes control of all the politics, that the degree will be very similar. And we know that now the degrees, they all follow the nursing council guidelines and competencies to make sure that every student that comes out of that degree is registered as a registered nurse and is competent to practice. Okay. Re- Rebecca, what happens if... We just ignore what's happening here at AUT and go, no, no, it'll be all right. Um, I think that's a really dangerous view to take. I think absolutely no one should be dropping out in their final semester of study. It means that they are kind of, they've got the qualities to be a registered nurse. It means that we are failing them and the system is failing them to actually become that. And we really need nurses. We are in a massive crisis at the moment and we need to fix that by having new nurses coming through. Yeah, there's been the call, nurses from overseas, bring them on in. As you know, are there countries with spare nurses around? Because it it doesn't seem like it when I look at the world map. Um, I would highly doubt that there are, and I don't think getting nurses solely from other countries to fix our crisis is the right way to go because then we just create a crisis in another country. I think Maranga Mai, the new campaign from NZNO, is perfect. It's got five principles. Part of that is to train more people to be Bachelor of Nurses. 
and we also want more Māori Pacifica nurses to serve our country properly. Rebecca, thank you so much uh, for your time there. Yes, yeah, students working hard, and remember they were the essential workers, the essential workers of the world. We, we realised this was one of those uh, things. Let's hope conditions get better. Uh, people sending in thoughts about uh, the bridge or the tunnel. Uh, another one, it doesn't matter which one's chosen. What does matter is the exit and the convergence of traffic going where? Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, Ross is um, really enjoying the uh, the new financial jingle, which is pretty good. Go the Black Ferns. Uh, so great that at first five is brought to you by the letter T, Nathan. Not at 20 pass. True, that's a good point. That's John in Queenstown. And uh, Jeff Walker in Christchurch. Imagine what New Zealand could achieve with the extra time and effort in the rugby. First up's back in your ears. Ah, oh, poor, poor.